0: Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now... Here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Whittle.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Rawlings, and this time I'm going to be hosting the show alone. My co-host, Kevin, is actually out, but we're going to have fun because I have an exciting guest today, Nadine Templer. Nadine, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, of course. I'm so thrilled that you're here. Nadine, why don't you go ahead and tell the people a little bit about yourself, your life, your ministry, your spiritual journey, and let's just get started
2: that way. Okay, great. Well, um, I was born in France. I grew up in France, and I lived there until I was 21 years old. I did my studies in France. I got a master's in English literature, and then at the age of 21, I moved to London up to that point, I had no faith in God, uh, you know, typical French young woman, uh, never went to church, never read the Bible, uh, never talked about God, didn't think about God very much at all, um, and then moved to London when I was 21. But I did have a lot of questions, and then about a week after I landed in London, um, Douglas Jacoby, he was not a doctor at the time, (laughs) um, invited me to a church meeting. And I was very curious. And so I went along. I had a ton of questions, and he was the perfect person to answer them. So I um, was introduced to the Bible, to Jesus. I was very eager to find out if this was true. And I pretty much studied the Bible every day for two months. Um I debated a lot, uh, but I was baptized uh, less than ah. two months later. And, uh, you know, I met Jesus and I fell in love. I mean, it changed my life. It's uh, It all made sense. It felt that I found what I had been looking for uh, in terms of meaning and purpose. And, you know, Jesus was everything that I wanted to do with my life. From the time I was a young child, I'd always wanted to... You know, right the wrongs of the world, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which which I know sounds like a very sounds very ambitious, but um you know, I'd heard of people like Mother Teresa, and I was very inspired by their life, and so when I read about Jesus, I was like, well, that's it that's that's what it is, that's what it's all about um so yes, I became a Christian and then met my husband in London. We both had the same dreams, the same values, and so. We joined a small group that was going to India to start a congregation and we were very young. We didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we went with a lot of faith and um, this was in the late 80s and we spent most of our adult life in South Asia and right now we live in Nepal and um, yeah, so that's kind of a you know quick overview of my life. Ah, wee wee.
1: That's all the French I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I was <laughs> hey, you said you were um you studied uh English lit. What what's your favorite
2: book? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, that's uh, that's a very good question. I have a lot of favorite books. I loved eighteenth and nineteenth century literature. Um mm-hmm. I read uh you know, Thomas Hardy and a lot of those books. Um yeah, that's probably my favorite period in literature.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a really big reader too. So um, I I really like Dr. Seuss, um, <laughs> <laughs> the Bernstein Bears, you know stuff like that. It's more likable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! Hey, so um, tell our audience a little bit about the um, Hope Worldwide and your work with Youth Corps. For okay. people who don't know what that is, just give
2: us a little insight into that. Okay. So Hope Worldwide is the um, you know, charity, uh, charitable part of the International Church of Christ. Uh, we aim to serve uh, the materially poor, serve our neighbors in need around the world. And Youth Corps uh, was started 26 years ago. It was a program that aimed to send groups of young people around the world to serve in programs um, serving the materially poor in order to, you know, give the youth in our churches an an awareness of how people live around the world to obviously to try and serve the communities, but also to uh, have an impact on the hearts of our young people. Uh, So that's how it started. And over the last 26 years, the programs have evolved a lot. I took over the department seven years ago. um, And now we have trips not just for young people, but for singles, for families, for medical professionals. Uh, We have all kinds of different programs. And now this program has gone really global. So we go all over the world, but we also have volunteers that come from all over the world. So on a typical trip, you'll have 10 people from Australia and 10 people from Singapore and, you know, 10 from Europe and from North America. And so um, and, and, you know, the purpose of these trips is to go and serve respectfully, learn from the communities where we serve uh, and have a mutual understanding of one another and You know, the impact on the communities is great, but I think the greater impact is on the volunteers where, you know, they go home after these trips changed, you know, with a better understanding of differences, of cultural sensitivity and, you know, the the hope and the aim is to, you know, raise a generation of young people who are more compassionate and more uh, empathetic.
1: It's really interesting. I love this concept of introducing um, youth to the idea of of missions, really. Um, And and you can take that home, and it can be domestic as well. Um, And it's an opportunity to really share the gospel, which is something that you really encourage volunteers um, to do. And in, in order to do that, you have your volunteers read a hole in our gospel, um, this book was written about 12 years ago. So, why do you feel that this is particularly relevant for today?
2: Well, I think it's very important for us as followers of Christ to actually follow Christ. <laughs> and I know that sounds obvious. That's a wild
1: concept. <laughs> yes,
2: what 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 a concept, but you know, the danger for us is to be religious and to follow traditions and things we've always done. And, you know, a lot of people grew up in the church and are used to doing things a certain way. I think the, the advantage that I had is that I came from a totally unchurched background. So when I met Jesus, I had no preconceived ideas. And as I read the Gospels, I saw a Jesus who, yes, evangelized and shared his faith, but also helped people. Served people, healed people. Um, And it was all one gospel. It was all one ministry. It wasn't, oh, we evangelize, and that's really, really important because people need to go to heaven. But, you know, yes, I guess helping the poor is important too, but, you know, not as important. Whereas, as I read the gospel, I see Jesus doing everything. And yeah. if you if you look in the book of Mark, for example, the first couple of chapters, Jesus preaches, he prays, he serves, he helps, he heals, he teaches again, and it's all one thing for him. And so this book, the Holy Now Gospel, explains that that it it's the whole gospel of Jesus. It's not, you know, putting different aspects of Jesus's ministry in little boxes, but it's all one thing, and how. Serving the materially poor is an integral part of the ministry of Jesus. It's not a side activity where maybe once a month or once a year, we go and pack some boxes in at a food, food bank. Or, you know, it's a yeah. da- daily Jesus was serving and healing as well as teaching.
1: Do you think um, going and packing food boxes once a year or things like that um do you think that is more harmful than helpful for people who are living um as missionaries or people who are trying to minister in areas and spread the gospel and develop those relationships do you think there's an element of harm when we do short term stuff
2: I mean those things are good things they're not wrong um but they need to be part of a bigger picture where we really um, emphasize relationships. You know, we may give someone a sandwich, you know, someone sitting on the side of the road, you know, we give them a sandwich or we give them, you know, a dollar. But what's even more important is having a conversation with them. It's mm. It's those relationships, it's the mutuality, it's the give and take, it's the, okay, maybe I'm helping you, but you're also helping me it's listening to one another it's that mutual respect as we serve people so packing food in a food bank is not wrong obviously it's a it's a good thing to do but what's even more important is the relationships is the interactions
1: right i mean and when you see jesus talking it's not like he just walks in and says hey here's some food um i love you you should believe in me and then walk off like he right. takes time to uh, have those relationships and then, you know, with his followers and his disciples, there is an element of relationship and that's what he wants from us today too.
2: Right, right. And Jesus would always ask people their names. He would touch them. Um, you know, there was something very personal about Jesus's interactions with people.
1: Oh, absolutely. It, even with the woman um, who touched his garment uh he didn't have to say anything. I mean, she could have touched it and went on, but he was like, "Who touched it? You know, your faith has healed you. Go on. You know, I, I think stuff like that. I, I don't know. I can't wait to hug him. I guess. <laughs> is <Isn't> that funny? <laughs> so, um, how would you encourage? I'm gonna kind of throw you off here because uh, I didn't tell you I was gonna ask you this question, but how, how would you encourage people where they are to? spread the gospel? How would you encourage them to start? Because in the you know Western world, we don't share the gospel. As a matter of fact, Pew Research just came out with an article that states this is the first time in our history that the majority population does not attend church. Um, not, they're not members of a church. It's under 50%. And I think a lot of that is stemmed from many things. I'm not going to get crazy into it, but, um, where can we start? You know, how would you encourage someone to begin in sharing the gospel with people in our community?
2: I think it starts from an understanding of what the gospel really is. I think a lot of people are put off by religion. (laughs) Um, and you know, so, if being a Christian and sharing our faith and sharing the gospel is about going to church meetings and, you know, handing out church invitations, and it feels very dry and meaningless. Um, I think as we look at Jesus, you know, I don't get a sense that Jesus was looking for baptisms. <laughs> I get a mm. sense that Jesus was looking for relationships Uh, Jesus was looking to love people, um, to show them the love of God. And I think as we serve our communities, as we engage with our communities, as we, um, you know, get involved with the people around us, our neighbors, our neighbors in need, um, and show them the love of God. I think People have to see the love of God before they can hear about it. You know, we live in a very troubled world right now. People are craving for love and relationships and compassion and understanding. And, you know, that needs to come first. People have to see Jesus in us before they're going to hear about Jesus. And very often, you know, we want to preach at people and tell them about Jesus and tell them about how it's the right way to live. But we haven't given people a chance to see it in us first. So I think engaging in our local communities, reaching out to our neighbors, you know, going to the neighbors next door. um, It's so easy in the Western world to not do that. Mm. Um, So I think, you know, showing people Jesus before telling them about Jesus probably will have a bigger impact than just inviting them to a church service. You know, there's this um, concept we talk about, bring the church to people instead of bringing people to church. You know, we want people to come to our services. We want them to come to our meetings and to our church. How about we take the church to them and we go and visit them. We spend time with them. We talk to them. And let them see what we're all about in real life.
1: Do you find it easier to share the gospel in the East? Because you said it is harder in the West.
2: Well, it's hard and it's easy. It's it's different. Um, I think in the Western world, you know, we have a much more individualistic approach to life. People, you know, go home, they close their door you know, they stay within their own little circle. Um, I think in the East, people are more community based, you know, the front door is usually open. So in that way, it's easier to build relationships. I think it's harder in some ways, because people do not have a background in Christianity. A lot of the time, they don't know anything about Jesus. So, you know, there are obstacles in terms of explaining what Jesus is all about and of course if people are going to be Christians you know changing their whole view of life their religion their traditions going against their family so in some ways it's easier and in some ways it's harder
1: totally and you know you said you lived in the western and eastern countries right Um, Mm -hmm. because you were in France and London and now you're in Nepal and you've said that the gospel feels different in Nepal than it does in the United States. Could you expand on this a bit? I know you did just a little bit here, but can you go a little further in that?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Well, it's one of the reasons I love living in this part of the world. It feels like day to day, I live the in the world of the gospels, you know, how mm-hmm. Jesus would go out of a home, and there would be crowds of people, there would be people everywhere. Uh, how, you know, the hospitality, you know, it's very similar. Um, even the stories of the Bible, you know, Jesus interacting with a man with leprosy, you know, we do that here, we see that here. Um, you know, the. I mean, it's a lot of similar cultural uh, elements. Um, and then, of course, you know, the the sense of community, the sense of, you know, everyone's together all the time. I mean, you you look at Jesus's life, and it's exhausting reading about it. (laughs) Because Uh there were people, you know, people everywhere all the time. And life here feels a lot like that, where, you know, there are people everywhere, and people want to be together. You know, people often ask me, don't you feel lonely living on the other side of the world, far from your family? And And I'm like, it's impossible to feel lonely in a place like Nepal or India. And because neighbors look out for each other. Um, You know, I moved here in the middle of the pandemic last year, and I didn't know anyone here in this neighborhood where I live. And immediately the neighbors, the shopkeepers, everyone helped out. And, you know, it was great. Within 24 hours, I had a network. I can't imagine wow. that happening, you know, living where I lived last year in Northern Virginia, which is a wonderful place, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, it's not, it takes time to get to know people and you really have to be intentional about it. Whereas here, you don't even have to try. It's just natural. That's what people do.
1: Mm. You know, I had some friends in, who, who are from Nepal. And they told me that um the monkeys are really mean there. Have <laughs> you have you had any experiences where they've tried to steal your food or just welcome themselves oh, yeah. to the house?
2: Oh yeah. Can monkeys you, are can... extremely clever.
1: <laughs> Do you have any good stories for me? Can you give me a something?
2: Oh, I have so many stories of monkeys. We don't it's a whole podcast. Um <laughs> monkeys are very smart they uh they know how to open doors and windows and um they know how to they know where the fridge is in your house and so you just have to be very wise and if there's a monkey in the neighborhood you want to close your windows and and so on um yes i mean we went somewhere one time we stayed in a little lodge for a family vacation and uh, it was a place with a lot of monkeys, and as soon as we came in, you know, I opened all the windows, to let the fresh air in, and the monkeys arrived. And uh, you know, <laughs> the monkeys, the monkeys help themselves. You know, they they're amazing creatures. I've also been attacked by monkeys. Um, oh my gosh! Yes, yes, yes. One time, I was uh, drinking tea early in the morning. And uh, the people at the place where we were staying had given me some um, biscuits, I guess you call them cookies, Um, and the monkeys saw the cookies. So they came and grabbed the cookies and then jumped on me aggressively because I think they wanted more cookies. Yeah, so it can be a little scary (laughs) there. I I was under the impression that you can shoo them away as you do with a dog, but it doesn't right. work that way with monkeys. The more you try to shoo them away, <laughs> the more aggressive they get. And so the only thing they respond to is a stick. If you have a stick, then they get scared.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because if you have a stick and they're scared, that means someone has hit them with a stick at some point. Oh, Absolutely learn their lesson it's so funny because they said they'll like jump on you and like pull your hair and everything it's oh yeah insane
2: they know how to oh, open your bag they know they know what to look for very smart what do
1: you what do you think the biggest difference is um not spiritually but just like you know culturally you you've really made a huge change because those are completely different cultures what do you think um If you want to call it culture shock, what would be the most culture shocking thing for you?
2: Um, You know, when I first came to this part of the world, it was the way that women were treated differently. Um, Mm. That was very challenging. Things have changed a lot in the last 30 something years we've been in this part of the world. But I remember the first time going out on the road and there were no women It was all men. And um, that was very challenging. I didn't know where to find the women and how to build relationships. And then I quickly found out that, you know, the women were at home um, and that you had to build relationships with the men in order to meet the women. So that's what we did. Um, And again, you know, things have changed a lot. Things are very, very different nowadays. Uh, You know, there are women everywhere now. But in those days, it was very challenging as a young feminist French woman. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, so that was challenging, for sure. How, ex-
1: how extreme was it? Would men talk to you as a woman?
2: Yes, if a man was with me. So, you know, we did the ministry together, you know, my husband and I, and then the, the brothers and sisters who came with us. So we did we did it all together. And people were very friendly, it was just a different society. And so people were very friendly, very hospitable. So, you know, my husband would meet the men and then would take me to, they would take me to their homes and then we would meet the women. And it was very easy, actually. It was just a different way of doing things. Uh, But it was hard to figure out at first, you know, it took me a little while to figure out, okay, how do we do this, you know? and show respect to the local culture because we were not there to change their ways. You know, Uh, we were there to share the gospel, but um, so we had to fit in with the way they did things and then reach out to people through, you know, that way.
1: How did women respond to you?
2: They were wonderful. Um, I mean, the people in this part of the world, the women are incredible they're so warm, so friendly, so kind, so helpful. Um, You know, we moved back here a year ago, almost uh, from Northern Virginia, and my youngest child is 13. And I asked her just last week, so you know, what difference have you noticed? And, you know, how are you feeling? And she said, Mom, you know, the people here are so friendly. And they talk Mm. to me, and they always interested and you know, there's a sense even amongst young people, she said, you know, that they are not cliquey here. Everybody wants me to be involved in everything. So I think, you know, um, I felt that and I made friends very quickly. And the friends I made in those first few months in India, they're still some some of my very best friends to this day. So it was just a different way of doing things. But you know, the women were incredible. And Isn't a lot that of- Interesting. Yeah, and a lot of women became Christians. Actually, we had more women become Christians than men in the beginning. Wow. Um,
1: were they yeah. able to help in the conversion of their husbands?
2: Yes, uh, absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, it was both ways. You know, some men brought their wives and sisters and mothers and and then some of the women also uh, had an influence on their, you know, their brothers, their husbands, their, you know, neighbors. Um, so, yes. And, you know, the church grew very fast because of that mm. sense of community. If you reach out to one person, you're not reaching out to one person. You're reaching out to a whole extended family, the neighbors, the community. Um, Yes.
1: It really is like living in the Bible times then. Because right. it, I mean, those those cultures seem so similar. It was very community-based. It was very we have some guys from Uganda who have come to America to study and they will go back to Uganda to plant churches. And i I was talking to Eddie, the one of them, and he said, I, I asked him, what do you think the biggest difference is in America and Uganda? And he said, America is very me focused and Uganda right. is very we focused and and you're saying it's basically the same thing there too, right do you think it's because we're more developed and so we aren't as um needy on one another we're, there there's more independence here do you think it's just you know culture well and you know what I'm gonna be honest with you, and I want you to be honest with me about this people in Nepal, Uganda, seem to have more joy and contentment as to where here in the West, we're miserable and we're on, you know, antidepressants and all of these things. Do you think it's because there's more community and there's more of, I don't have to do this alone? What Can you speak to that a little bit?
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. People depend on one another. They need one another. I also think that having less in terms of material possessions is actually probably helpful spiritually. Um, (laughs) Biblical for sure. Well, not that we want people to experience what we call abject poverty, which is extreme poverty, obviously, but you know, a simple life um, seems to bring more happiness. I think materialism is destroying our souls in the Western world. Um, you know it's about you know what we can have what we can get and there's a sense of discontent um, you know i think in many places around the world people don't have as much in terms of material things but they have so much more in terms of relationships and community you know if you don't have a big tv with video games and all of that then what do you do well you play games with your neighbors Right. You know, so um, people have fun with very little here. Um, and it doesn't matter how old they are. <laughs> no. I go to I go to many gatherings where, you know, the parents and the grandparents are having just as much fun as the teenagers. Um, oh. And, uh, you know, they they play a lot of games that don't require any anything, really. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, the fact that people cannot afford to do a lot of the things we do means that they have to spend time together.
1: I love that. Hey, listen, this conversation is so good and I cannot wait to continue it next week as we talk a little bit more about the gospel and the intergenerational unity of it. So do you have anything you want to say before we end this conversation?
2: Well, um, if you get a chance to go and visit communities in other parts of the world please do it and I know it means you have to plan you have to be intentional save money but it's definitely worthwhile I think going to see other parts of the world will you know it brings more awareness and I think it makes us better neighbors once we go back home
1: I love it. Hey, Nadine, um, I can't wait to continue this conversation. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we go ahead and continue um, the beautiful story that Nadine and her family have. We'll see you next time. Thanks again, Nadine. I'm so excited to see you guys next week. Make sure to go ahead and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. See you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Ground Unity Podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.